Well, hello, CMYK community and beyond, and welcome to another CMYK Talk podcast. Today, we are launching into a new series of talks that I am excited, nervous, apprehensive about, but I think it's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good, helpful for you. It's been helpful for me, and it's simply titled this, The Bible and Sexuality. This is a hot-button topic. It has been for a couple decades now (laughs) within the church, and so we're kind of finally catching up to the times of the CMYK community. But as you may know, this is something that um, I personally have been wrestling with uh, on a lot of different levels, and just because of some things uh, going on and just where we were at as a community, it felt like the right time to just talk about this concept and how do we see these two things interact, the Bible and sexuality, because all of us are interacting with sexuality. All of us are choosing to interact with the scriptures, whether it's by avoiding them, putting them down, or trying to wrestle with them. All of us are, are dealing with these two things on some level. And so how, uh, for me, how can we and how should we interact with it on a more beautiful way? And um, as this is a hot button issue, there's just a couple things uh, that I want to mention because this is a whole series of talks that we're jumping into today. And today is kind of the introduction, kind of talking about some bigger concepts uh, that are going to kind of play themselves out throughout the next few weeks. And so really quickly before we jump into it, I want to lay some ground rules for where we're headed. So first and foremost, three things. First, this is a big topic, and I want you to know right out of the gates, I don't claim to be an expert on these topics at all. I don't claim to have the end-all, be-all thoughts or ideas or theology that's going to solve and fix everything, or I don't claim to be the person that that knows what I know, what I know, that I know, that I know that this is right, and if anybody thinks differently, they're, they're wrong and stupid and horrible, how could you go there? That's not the point of this series. Um, the point of this series is trying to invite conversation for you on a personal level to make some choices about how you're choosing to interact and view this topic, how you're choosing to interact with people around you. Again, because sexuality and the Bible are things that we're all kind of trying to figure out and wrestle with. At the same time, I also want to mention there are so many great books and resources, and I would say even people within the CMYK community or people around you that are very educated and have some really deep personal experience and interaction with these concepts. And so hopefully, rather than, again, Matt Blakesley giving you, downloading all his thoughts and ideas, and that's the end-all, be-all thing, know that this would be an invitation to have some conversations with people around you. That's an important thing. So first ground rule. Second ground rule is my interest with this series is not just throwing out Bible verse after Bible verse to support one opinion over another. I think we all know that when we just use scripture as Bible verses and weapons that we just throw back and forth at one another, that doesn't really go anywhere. That's not helpful or healthy for anybody. But what I want to do with this series is look at a broader context of scripture, a broader context of sexuality, and a healthy way for us to maybe have conversations around these things rather than just throwing verse uh, after verse after verse back and forth at one another. We could go there. I just don't think that that would be healthy at all. So for some of you, this might be a frustrating series because you all all you want is a, like a, a uh, what's the air thing with the arrows on the back? Legolas had one. A quiver. Quiver? Yeah, quiver full of arrows <laughs> that, that it's Bible verses you can pull out and point at someone and just you know shoot it and, and know that you're winning because you have more arrows than they do. That's not the point of this. That's not where we're going, okay? So second ground rule. Third ground rule is my hope is that you would listen to all of this series. 
That's not an egotistical statement because I think I'm just that great and you need to listen to all of it. But there's going to be topics that are touched on even today in this talk that you're going to say, Matt, you didn't really go into depth on that. You didn't really explain yourself on that. And I want to say, well, we will. I'm doing my best to talk about this really broad concept. And uh, I've done my best to try and break it up into kind of different categories or sections of talks and deal with it on that level. So if there's something that frustrates you or something that doesn't feel like, man, he didn't go into much detail there, I would encourage you to just keep listening, keep trucking along, and then hopefully we get there. And if we don't get there, ultimately, I would love to have a conversation with you about this kind of stuff. So ultimately, here's where we are, and here's what this series is about with those three ground rules. I want to come right out of the gates and say that I believe the scriptures invite us to fully affirm and embrace our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And to fully affirm and embrace them is a healthy and important approach to our spirituality and life. That's the context. That's the thesis. That's where we're headed for me and for you potentially to be someone that fully affirms and embraces someone. And for many, this is something that doesn't work right out of the gates. You're like, this is wrong. Turn it off. Heathen, heretic, not okay. Because for many of us, we've been told that anything outside of what I would term traditional sexuality, that's wrong. Anything outside of a heterosexual relationship is sinful. It's icky. It's something that God is going to smite you for and come against you because of. And I believe that to carry uh, this tradition of smiting or coming against anything outside of traditional sexuality, it actually is something that comes against the work of God, the work of the divine, and what he's up to. So that's why we're going to talk about this on a broader concept, because there's a lot happening here, but I believe there's a healthy work for us to be affirming, open, and embracing people wherever they are in their sexuality. So to kick things off, what I want to do is talk about a couple broader concepts that are actually going to have kind of roots in the rest of the series. Uh, So this is really kind of an introduction of why we're headed, where we're headed, and and why I think this is important to talk about. And the first thing I I want to mention or bring up today is this concept or this word fruit. Fruit is this word that's used uh, throughout a good chunk of the New Testament. It's found in all of the Gospels of Jesus at one point or another bringing up this concept or idea. It's found in many of the writings of the New Testament. And fruit, especially good fruit, is this idea that for someone to choose to follow Christ, for someone to pick the Jesus way, what that means is that there's going to be an outcome of good fruit for your life. This is the context that we see it talked in within the teachings of Jesus and within the New Testament. So you would choose to follow Christ because there would be good fruit attached to it. That's the point. That's the goal. So you have these moments, like in John chapter 15, where Jesus is communicating to his followers and he says, I am the vine and you are the branches and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple." Jesus goes on and says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There's this abiding sense, this understanding that you would choose to live your life in a certain way 
They would be centered in love and the response to that, the outcome of that choice would be fruit. And Jesus says with this text that to do this and to see this fruit produced is actually what glorifies the Father, what glorifies God, and what God is after in our lives and the world as well. It's about good fruit. It's why we would choose to follow Christ in the first place. And I think it's important to note that the fruit that's being talked about here is not fruit that um, is someday, somewhere, somehow out there, or this idea that you're going to go somewhere in the clouds when you die, and that's what the fruit's that being referenced here. No, the fruit that Jesus is talking about, that he always talks about, and the fruit that the New Testament church was always wrestling with was a real and tangible here and now in this moment kind of fruit. And so the church obviously is wrestling, well, what does this look like? And then you have, so you have these moments like in Galatians chapter five, where the writer of this text is saying, okay, here's what this fruit is. Here's what this real tangible outcome of someone choosing to follow Christ looks like. And he says this, that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So this is the outcome. This should be, these should be some of the things that are seen and found because someone is choosing to follow Christ. That's the fruit. What I know is that we live in a predominantly, and I'm using air quotes here, Christian culture. That we have years and years, decades of history of when it comes specifically to this issue of sexuality, a traditional Christian view of what that sexuality should and only can look like. And so we live in in a culture, and again, I know conversations have been shifting in the last few years, but let's be honest, the last like major portion of our history as a country, and even today, is still predominantly very much this Christian narrative. In other words, it's one that of rejection, of belittlement, one of tearing down and saying it's a sin, it's wrong, and it's brokenness for anybody to be sexually oriented outside of a heterosexual relationship. That's the state of our country. That's the state of our culture that we live in, that I live in, in Billings, Montana. So the question for me is in this Christian nation and in this Christian culture, are we seeing fruit because of our choice to reject to not embrace, but to belittle, to turn away our LGBT brothers and sisters. Is there this fruit here? And here's what I know. After decade, of decade, of decade, after decade, after decade of this Christian nation and this Christian culture choosing to reject and belittle anybody outside of heterosexual orientation, here's what I know. That is right now that there's over 50% of LGBT youth that feel unsafe at school because of their sexual orientation, schools that are driven by a predominantly Christian narrative and culture. We have LGBT youth that are 120% more likely to experience homelessness than their heterosexual peers. LGBT youth are twice as likely to commit suicide as their heterosexual classmates. That's a giant leap that a kid, a student, would be twice as likely to kill themselves. And the stat that sees that double is sexual orientation and a culture, a Christian culture that chooses to reject them and their sexuality. What we know is in our Christian culture, gay men struggle with depression three times more than straight men. 
We know that there are millions upon millions of individuals with broken relationships with family and friends. In other words, these relationships that are to be the most intimate, important, and significant relationships around because of their sexual orientation and because of who they are, they're finding these relationships to be severed and cause hurt and pain and mess. We have decades of people that if you don't fit within this heterosexual box, this traditional Christian narrative box, decades of people um, looking in the mirror and they hate themselves. Because there is this narrative that uh, this is a choice, this is something that you are deciding to do, and so you just have to choose something different. Meanwhile, everything inside of them says, this is not a choice, and if I could if I could choose any other path or any other sexual orientation, I probably would because this is so hard and painful and broken and messy, and we have decades upon decades upon decades of people in a Christian narrative that look in the mirror and they absolutely hate themselves. They hide who they are from those closest to them. They can never truly accept all of themselves because it is such an atrocity to themselves, to their family, and to this God that they've been handed. What I know is that in a Christian culture, we have things like conversion therapy and conversion camps that are now illegal in different parts of the world and even in our country because it's seen as such a hateful, broken, messy thing. And there's no stats or no data that says that it works. This is what Christian culture, this is the fruit. What we know is the fruit of this Christian culture and rejection of years after year after year are broken and messy marriages. Gay men choosing to be in a heterosexual relationship. And the result of that is one of pain, not only for them, for their spouse, for friends around, choosing to have kids. I know stories of people who have kids. And, and now there's these kids that are dealing with a broken home, and it's driven by this narrative of rejection of who they are in their sexuality. This is the fruit that we see. And, and for me, the question is this. So is this it? Is this what Jesus was talking about? Like, welcome to the, welcome to the way of following Christ because this is going to be the outcome. You're going to see suicide jump. You're going to see depression spike. You're going to see uh, broken homes and families and people choose to reject you. You're going you're gonna to see some of the most intimate, close relationships that um, you want to be in a loving relationship with, but you can't because they can't accept you and they can't see you for who you are. This is the fruit. Welcome. I mean, I mean for me, honestly, it, it just makes sense that... If this is the fruit of fallen Christ, if this is the, the outcome that we're supposed to see because of choosing to follow this way, it makes sense that we're seeing the exodus from the church and from faith that we're seeing in our culture. Because of course, of course, I don't want to be a part of this kind of thing that this is the outcome and this is the fruit of rejection and pain and hurt and brokenness. And it makes sense to me that we not only see it culturally, but it makes sense to me that I would see it even within relationships within my own life. I mean, just, just imagine the most intimate, private, for some most powerful parts of who you are, that is not a choice, that is a biological like a scientifically thought about and processed piece of who you are. 
that is being rejected and spoken of as a disease. And the only thing that you want is at the core is to be and have the same thing that anybody in a heterosexual relationship has, and that is an intimate, loving, connected relationship. And because of this desire that you're wired to have, you are seen as a disease. And the amount, the amount of bad fruit that that creates, it makes sense to me that, that this traditional message of rejection is something that causes so much pain and is the reason why so many of us can't do this thing anymore. <clears throat> I think fruit is an important thing. What are we actually creating? And for me, <clears throat> I've wrestled with this. <clears throat> And am I one that believes in following Christ that there is good fruit to be found here and now? Like the first followers of Christ had, like the teachings of Jesus communicate, that there's this love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that it can be found in this breath and this moment, and it's found in choosing to follow the way of Christ. And for me, if that fruit isn't found, then there's something broken and there's something off kilter that I need to address what way I'm actually following and how I'm choosing to actually believe and perceive this thing, because this is about fruit. And so for, for you, as I said, this is a personal conversation. The question is, do you believe that there's fruit here in following Christ? Or maybe you're someone that's abandoned ship a long time ago, and I get it. Or maybe you're someone that's more in the traditional rejection kind of view of anything outside of heterosexual sexual orientation. Um, I would just ask the question, what's the fruit of that? Can we be honest and have a conversation about what that looks like? And you might have some, some reasons why and some stats why it makes sense for you. Okay, but I think we've got to be willing to at least talk about this data, this reality, these stories that many of us know and some of you are actually carrying and have carried um, that's a part of this. So first we got to talk about fruit. What's the fruit here? The other thing I want to talk about is the concept of fear. What we know is that fear is one of the greatest motivators of within our humanity. In other words, if you want to like motivate a group of people to do something or get them to stay within a certain boundary or certain box, uh, the fear is one of the greatest things we have. It's why you see politicians, when they're trying to get them to get you to vote for them, they communicate and say things like, vote for me or all your family and friends, all the kids are going to die. <laughs> of course, like there's this part of us that goes, oh, well, we better vote for that guy. Because if we're, if we're motivated by fear, we're actually get up and we'll do something. It's just a, it's an old, old tactic that we see used all over the place. And the question for me in the midst of this conversation, as we go through this series, is if this is filled with so much negative and bad fruit, if there's so much data that speaks to who someone really is and so much biology that speaks to who someone is on this level, why would we continue to be in a place why would I choose to continue to be in a place of rejection rather than affirmation? Why would we choose to, to be afraid to talk about this and to go there and to be honest about these things? And I think for there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of the biggest motivators and drivers for why we're afraid to go here is this concept and this topic of fear. We're afraid. 
And we're afraid, not for some, it's this concept of being afraid of God, which we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I think more importantly right now, it's this idea that we're afraid of others around us. We're afraid of <clears throat> what they're going to say, what they're going to think of us. We're afraid of being rejected by them, of having disapproval thrown our way. And so it's out of fear that we're afraid to be honest about who we are. It's out of fear that we're afraid to be honest about what we're really thinking and perceiving when it comes to this concept or maybe something else in your life that we just kind of tow the company line and we don't go there, stay in the boundaries. It's out of fear that we're not willing to talk honestly about, is this good fruit or is this bad fruit? Because we know there are those closest to us that would not approve. And there's this verse, um, it's actually a concept that's throughout scripture, but this verse that I think gets so potent and straight to the point that speaks to this idea of fear and how we choose to relate to each other. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, and the writer says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is a, such a significant deal. What the writer of this text is saying, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, is that the opposite of love is not hate, but the opposite of love many times is fear. And that any relationship or any interaction that's driven by fear, it's not, it, you're not finding perfect love within that interaction within that relationship. But to, to be in a loving relationship means that there's not a presence of fear because these two things are polar opposites. The reason that this is so important, the reason that I want to bring this up within this talk and within this series is because for many of us, there are those closest to us that we are afraid to be open and honest with. We're afraid to go down this path. We're afraid to talk about the real fruit and whether or not this is good or bad. And it's a fear that causes us not to go there and not to be honest. And what I've come to find is that if I really want to see this relationship centered in love and I want to point it towards finding more and more of that in this relationship, then I cannot allow fear to drive me. I must be willing out of love to speak and communicate the reality of who I am or the reality of where I stand on this situation or the reality of what's going on here. I can't live in fear. And I just want to be really honest. I know that this is always going to be a difficult thing. It always sucks. It's always painful to disappoint those closest to you, to look at a father or a mother or other family or friends closest to you, spiritual leaders. I know what it's like to look at a community of people that, that love and affirm you, and then you choose to be honest about some things, and there is rejection found immediately because of a choice that you're making. There is so much pain in that. But if I'm driven to see the relationships around me motivated towards love, I can't allow them to be in this place of fear. This is why someone that chooses to come out in their sexuality in our current culture, I think are some of the most loving and strong individuals that I know. Because it's out of love that they choose to be honest. It's out of love that they choose to go there rather than live in fear and never talk about it. It's out of love that they choose to try and do this thing that is causing them to be homeless, to deal with depression, causing them um, to see these the most 
like intimate and and like genetically wired relationships around them be severed, but it's out of love that they're choosing to do this. Someone that chooses to come out of their sexuality, that's a that is a strong, strong, loving person in our culture. And so for me, <clears throat> again, just to talk overarching about this series. I hope that this is this is a conversation and this is a series that is not driven by fear, but that out of love that you are willing to talk and have conversations with those closest to you. And again, it's always a difficult thing, and I am not here to pressure you to make that decision or to have that conversation in a timeline that is not comfortable or right for you. So it may be days, weeks, months, even years for you potentially to communicate some things, and that's okay. I think the goal, though, is where are you pointing this relationship compared to are you allowing it to be settled in fear? Because to be in love means that there is no fear. When I was in high school, um, there was this moment, this period of time where my younger brother was consistently um, having meetings at the church that we grew up attending. And we were a family that was always at the church. So that wasn't the most uncommon thing that we were going to the church all the time. But um, this definitely hit a, a point of being abnormal, the amount that Aaron was going to the church and having meetings with pastors. And sometimes my parents would go into these meetings with him and it just was a little, was a little funky, but I honestly didn't think much about it. And then after like a few weeks of this, I could really sense and feel that there was something of, of a heaviness on uh, my brother's shoulders. Like there was something that he was carrying. And then even more, I could sense and, and see that there was something of a heaviness on my parents' shoulders. And so I started to wonder like, okay, is something up here, something's, something's a little funky. And it was after a couple months of this that uh, my parents called me into the kitchen, said, Matt, we need to talk to you. And I walked into the kitchen and <laughs> the kitchen table was cleared, which in the Blakesy household meant there's a serious conversation that's about to happen uh, because I have a tendency to fidget with whatever's in front of me. And my dad, not a fan of that. So <laughs> he uh, would always clear the table anytime we wanted to have a serious conversation. So I walk into the kitchen, clear table. And all of a sudden there's this moment of like, uh-oh, what did I do? What's going on? So I sit down at the table. And with one of the heaviest hearts I've seen my parents ever communicate anything, they looked me in the eye and they said, Matt, we just need you to know that Aaron is struggling with homosexuality. Now, I grew up in a home and I grew up in a culture where um, there was a lot of love and a lot of grace and and still is on on some levels. But when it came to... like bombs that could go off in our family. This topic of homosexuality was one that we all know, knew, don't touch that, don't go there. This is, in some ways, one of the worst of the worst things. It was the weight of what was communicated in that moment to me. And it was said, and then honestly, we, we like never talked about it again. And here's what I know. My, my parents um, love God and want to do everything they can to follow God, want to do everything they can to what they see is love their sons. But here's what I know. It um, set my brother, Aaron, who's a gay man, on this path of experiencing 
his family um, choosing to reject him and not to see him for who he is, but to simply communicate and speak and throw verses and ideas and concepts at him without actually hearing or working to understand him. And what I know is that for a good 15 years of that, I was at the center of that rejection. I would say that I would love my, I loved my brother, but at the end of the day, I, I was unwilling and unable to, in some ways, uh, to see the fruit that I was creating in his life and in the world around me. The amount of, of loneliness and isolation that he felt again, from his own family, the people that he's genetically wired to be the most intimately connected with. And um, he was just continually pushed to the outskirts and on the outside because when you want to stop being gay, then you can come in again, was essentially um, shown him. And um, I know the fear of choosing to kind of investigate this, to think about this differently and step outside of those, that boundary box that I lived in. I know the fear of um, choosing to communicate to my father how I've shifted on this topic and my spiritual leaders and those closest to me. And um, it's not fun. But what I believe is that there's fruit here. There is a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness, a gentleness, a faithfulness, and a self-control that we are invited into, that I am invited into. And it's found for me in understanding this topic and having the, the bravery to go down the path of this topic in such a way to look for that fruit and see that in choosing to affirm and embrace anybody in their sexuality, to choose to see uh, my brother for who he is and embrace him fully in his sexuality and love him for who he is. There is fruit here. And this is about us choosing to not live in fear, but in love. So there might be some good things for you to think about there. Uh, I hope that you continue to listen in on this as we continue to dive into this topic Um, But I hope you know this. I love you. And there's this community known as CMYK that that is for you and that is with you. And if you're looking to talk to anybody or connect with somebody, uh, please let us know. If there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. But may you be somebody that is finding fruit in your belief, finding fruit in your life, and not just holding up a narrative because that's what someone told you, but that you're actually seeing real tangible fruit like, like is talked about. May you be somebody that is pointing the relationships closest to you towards love. And those ones that, you, that uh, are centered in fear, that there would be a recognition of that and a work, a hard, difficult work, yes, but a work towards finding love. I love you, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>